The Seahawks got back on track with a 20-10 win over the Cardinals last week. Now sitting at 4-2, they face a tough matchup against the Browns in the highly anticipated throwback uniform game. Joining us to break it all down is former Seahawks wide receiver and current play-by-play man, Steve Rabel. Let's light him up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my handsome producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling great, man. Gassing me up over here. Come on now. (laughs) Uh, We're doing well. We're doing well. It was a weird weekend of dysfunctional football. I think that Arizona can head back to the desert for a while on both fronts but yeah man ready to ready to attack the week excited for this episode how are you Uh, i'm fantastic man and extremely excited for today's show the seahawks got a big win they're fourth in the last five games and have a tall task facing them this weekend we're going to dive into that and a whole lot more with today's guest but first a quick reminder that we've got our own cigars now and if you're watching on youtube you can see exactly what they look like as many of you know We partnered with one of the most prestigious cigar manufacturers in the world to release these official Cigar Thoughts cigars, which you can order directly from CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Just follow the link to get these easy-to-smoke stogies rolled with 13-year-age premium Dominican tobacco leaf, or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram and we'll send you the details directly. As we've mentioned before, a box of 10 of these stogies with this particular blend would normally go for between $350 to $400, but our partnership allows you to get your own bundle of 10 for just 169 bucks. It's less than half of MSRP, and the cigars come with a Bavita humidification pack and a Mylar storage bag to make sure they stay fresh whether you have a humidor or not. We also appreciate the love y'all have given our YouTube channel, which is one of the best ways you can help Cigar Thoughts grow. So we're grateful for the few seconds you can take to subscribe and like the videos. And Mike, it wasn't the prettiest game we've ever seen, but that's hardly been the recipe for the Seahawks anyway. What does matter is that they seem to be much more in sync, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where they've held their last three opponents to under nine points per game. Now, they've got a big test against maybe the best defense in the NFL this year, as they welcome the 4-2 Cleveland Browns to town in a game that's going to feature the best uniforms in the entire league. That's right, it's throwback week, and I literally don't think we could ask for anyone better to be in the lounge with us than the guest we have today. He was an original member of the expansion Seahawks in 1976, where he spent six years playing wide receiver and is now in his 20th season as the team's play-by-play man. He is a man with the history of the Seattle Seahawks woven into his DNA and has what may be the most recognizable voice in the Pacific Northwest. He is Steve Rabel. Steve, thanks for coming in. Jackson, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Listen, as a fan, as someone who writes about this team, I'm grateful for every week that I get Seahawks football in, regardless of the outcome. But even so, this week feels special. Uh, you're right. It is. Uh, I, I had this conversation with, uh, well, with my wife, Sharon, for one, when we knew this was going to be throwback week. And I think she was the one that noted, you know, when you're old enough that you have throwbacks back to the very beginning of the franchise, then you're getting old. And, and she's absolutely right. Uh, but for us, they were just our jerseys and our pants and our helmets. Uh, and I will tell you, back in the day, um, when you left the team, I, as I did, I retired. So I literally went out of my own accord uh, right before the 82 season. 
Um, I got the mesh bag. You know, you know, the, they have oh, yeah. the laundries the way they do it. The mesh bag that had my jock socks and T-shirt in it, and uh, and an old road jersey, and that was all I got. I didn't get my helmet, nothing. <laughs> And uh, those helmets were just absolutely gems, and I wish I had gotten one. I got my Georgia Tech helmet for crying out loud. It's made out of leather and, and some plexiglass <laughs> yeah. on the front, but but the the Seahawks helmet I never got. So I'm really looking forward. I mean, I just can't wait to see the guys out there in those in those old uniforms. And this week it's going to be terrific. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I've appreciated about the Seahawks franchise is that they've been really willing to lean into their history and stay connected with players and coaches and even members of the media from teams past. Like you said, you, you actually wore these colors, but since you've been essentially with this team since its inception, what was your reaction when you found out that they were finally going to release these? Well, you know what, what the biggest problem was, was helmets. The league was not going to allow teams to have two different helmets. Right. Well, the helmet is kind of what makes the the throwback uniform really work, the silver pants and silver helmet with the old kind of brighter green uh, Seahawk with blue, navy blue, and the logo on it. So um, until the league finally said, okay, uh, you know, we'll we'll let you guys do two helmets. And now that's opened the door for all the teams. Uh, you saw it the, this last weekend, Tampa Bay. They wore their creamsicle uniforms yeah. and their old, you know, pirate helmets. And, and they, they were just so cool. They looked so, uh, they were truly the throwbacks. So that's been the biggest thing uh, over the last few years is getting that done. Now that we can have two helmets. I will tell you, though, uh, if you're a player, you know, We'd wear a, we'd put a helmet on at the beginning of training camp, and maybe by the end of training camp, those pads or those straps in the helmet or whatever kind of helmet you had were finally contoured to your head, and it was finally fitting right. I'm not sure what they do with these new helmets, whether they can take the guts out of your old helmet oh, and put it into the new shell or not. It's a question I have to ask because if if they're just putting on a helmet with brand new padding inside, hell, I had a headache for three days when I first put on the helmet just so it could start to you know mold to your head. So I'm interested to hear about that. But the rest of it is going to be so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, on Thanksgiving, they let the the Lions and the Cowboys wear different helmets. So hopefully there's at least some precedence there so the Seahawks aren't, yeah. too, aren't too bothered by it. But, I mean, crazy as it probably seems, you came into this league 47 years ago. So you've witnessed the evolution oh. of the sport from what it was in the mid-70s to the cultural and, honestly, financial juggernaut that it's become. Look, I know there's a million ways the game and the league have changed since you played, but if someone back then was to show you what the NFL would look like in 2023, what parts would have surprised you the most? You know what's interesting? Um, I had a conversation just yesterday with the daughter of Chick Harris. You remember Chick Harris? Yeah. A running backs coach under, under Chuck Knox. Chick Harris, just a terrific coach, great teacher, and... As as history would have it, the first minority coach in the history of the Seahawks. Wow! So we were having this conversation about how the NFL has changed. That's one way that you know the the proliferation now of minority coaches. Maybe not enough. Certainly not enough as head coaches. Sure. Uh, Tony Dungy is a is a buddy of mine, and and we played against each other. And of course, he coached and went to the Super Bowl and did all those things. Uh, and then he got out of coaching when he was at his, you know, at his tops, uh, and and he decided, you know, I want to spend more time with the family, which he did. But um, so that part of it has changed. 
the money is the biggest thing that's yeah. changed and the the and how football now is everywhere. I mean, back when I started, first of all, there were none of these. So when you don't have cell phones, you you automatically cut out about half of the communication now that goes on about maybe more that goes on about pro football from sure. podcasts like this to people who really know absolutely nothing about the game yeah. and yet who will go on something on the you know some website and just talk like they have all of it figured out <laughs> they know yeah. why we should get rid of this guy what we should do and they should tell and they tell the coaches exactly how to coach a game <laughs> right so you know that part of it has just gone crazy i hadn't really considered money, that 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 must have seemed incomprehensible Oh, <laughs> hell, I, I still, we had rotary phones. Somebody from the Seahawks took a rotary phone into the locker room to show these young guys, and half of them didn't know how to use it because they'd never <laughs> been around a rotary phone. So when you think about that, and you think that there was nothing like this computer in this is bigger than the computer that sent the men to the moon. Right. Um, it, it's it, Or more powerful, anyway. Uh, so th- there are so many changes. The money... Um, I'm I'm not embarrassed at all. In fact, I'm proud to say I was a bonus pick at the end of the second round. The Seahawks, you know, and the Buccaneers, we were expansion teams at the same time in 76. So to help flesh out the rosters, they gave the both these expansion teams several bonus picks at the ends of the second and I think fourth rounds. So Sherman Smith, you, know, you remember the name yeah. Sherman Smith, our great running back. Sherman Smith and I were the two bonus picks at the end of the second round. So... Um, for me, the draft was, I got a call from a guy who later became my agent because there was no ESPN. There was none of that stuff. Um, in 76, I made $27,000 as a second bonus pick in the second round. I made 35 my second year and 43 my third year. None of it guaranteed. And I had a signing bonus of 45 that was spread out over three years. So by the time I got the 15 grand bonus pick, with interest rates and on taxes at that time, I think I got a check for about $8,500. Oh, my and, goodness. And that was how I started my career. And trust me when I tell you, I thought I was the wealthiest man on the yeah. planet because I had never seen money like that. Yeah. So the money now, second-round picks signed for a million dollars bonus and then some. You know, I mean, it's just it's exponentially so much bigger. But because TV money has been has become so much greater. And, and TV has changed the face of football as well. When, when I was growing up, there was one game on a weekend. And then the AFL rolled around and there was two, one on NBC, one on CBS. And then Fox got into it and then ESPN and then everybody started bidding it up. And you have what you have today, you know, four, five, six, seven billion dollar deals with the NFL over a couple of three or four years. So that part of it has been amazing. The, the great part about football is, you know what? The game, even though there, it's so much more complicated and all that, it still comes down to a few things. It comes down to hitting, tackling, blocking, running, throwing, catching. Yeah. All the things that they did in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. So that part of the game is still the same. The athletes are tremendously more accomplished, and they have so many more things going their way, their ability to to heal after a game, the medical opportunities they have, the yeah. the food that they we used to eat donuts in the morning for <laughs> breakfast, like three days a week. Yeah. What the hell do we know? You know? Uh now these maybe guys a side have, of cigarettes to go with it. Just oh <laughs> hello. We had guys that smoked in the locker room at halftime. 
I mean, that was just part of the game. Uh, you know, they tell you to hydrate. I'm going to get a six pack of Olympia. Uh, so that's what that was how we did things back in those days. It's a whole it's a whole lot different now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Ah, uh, God, Mike, couldn't we just sit here for the next three hours and talk to Steve about his experience? You could, but my soup would with be, his franchise on the sport. Yeah, I want to know what the throwbacks this weekend say, you know, worst case scenario comes around and the Seahawks go down a couple of pass catchers with injuries. Are you ready to suit up? Are you ready go. to put it all on the line for the team? You know what? If they asked me, I would absolutely say no, you're insane. <laughs> and then I'd walk away. I literally, I my nephew, uh, who is from Bellingham, we were talking about Bellingham. And yeah, yeah. We grew up up there, went to Bellingham High School. He is my stats guy in the booth. He so is cool. he's terrific. Yeah. Oh, he's he's been doing it now for a number of years. And before that, he was our production assistant. So he's been around this a long time with me in the booth. He's worked three Super Bowls with us now. Um, and so it, it, all is all is great. The joke in the booth is that there's going to come a day when his name is Riley, when Riley has to wheel Uncle Steve into the press box uh, and dab his chin right before the game, <laughs> put his headset on and tell Uncle Steve, OK, go. And then I'll try to do a broadcast. So I hope to be able to do it that long. But uh, no, I, I am I am physically just able enough to do these broadcasts. That's it. Oh, man. I mean, I think I speak for everyone. I say we hope you do it forever, man, because <laughs> like it's I mean, you're you're as much a part of the experience as any anything else, man. It's it's just wild to to hear your voice talking face to face right now. And like, look, I, I know the people listening <laughs> would love to just do story time for the next couple of hours as well. I know I would, but I do really want to get your thoughts on the 2023 team because it's looking more and more like they've got something cooking here. Like, yeah. I don't think we've quite seen them play to their potential in all facets at the same time yet, but for the fourth game out of the last five, they did enough to get the victory and you know better than anyone, how tough wins are in the NFL, regardless of circumstances. So what stands out to you most when you look at this team and how are they different than teams even of the last 10 to 12 years? Sure. Well, the thing that steps out now, stands out for me, is uh, is the defense and how well the defense is playing. I don't know that any of us could have, Pete certainly could have imagined it. John Snyder, when they were drafting these guys and putting this group together and with the boatload of draft choices that we were able to get in the deal for Russell, um, I, I know they have a way, Pete has a way that he wanted to play defense and Clint Hurd is defensive coordinator, but you got to have some of the right people in places to do that. You know, we talk about a, a lot of defenses. Philadelphia is a great example. They're built from the front back. Mm -hmm. If you look at that front four, Philadelphia's defense, they are loaded. I think three of the four are first-round draft choices. They are all either Pro Bowl caliber or going to be. Oh, they're when like a look, front eight. I mean, they can oh, just cycle guys in yes, that are almost exactly. Pro Bowl level, if not Pro Bowl level. Exactly. You look at us and – I think part of it is because of Pete's background as a safety in college and as a defensive backs coach mm -hmm. and a defensive coordinator. His defenses have sort of been, let's build from the back forward. Let's have some great cornerbacks because once you have guys that can cover, now there are so many things you can do with your other guys. Camp Chancellor became an all-pro because we had cornerbacks that can cover man-to-man. -man. And now Cam could drop down in the box and just literally annihilate people, which yeah. he did. And then you have a free safety that can run sideline to sideline on the back end making big plays. We have that again. So 
are they the 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 you know the rebirth of the Legion of Boom? Well, that remains to be seen. But right now, these guys are playing just lights out. And the system that we have with kind of a three safety system now, and Jamal Adams being that third guy mm. who'll drop down in the box, he's like Cam, but he's also like a linebacker. And Bobby and Jordan are playing great. Julian Love has been a, a literally has been a revelation. He was so good back with the Giants. They let him go. He was a four-year team captain, and they let him walk. And so we got him, and he's here, and he is such a great guy and such a great team guy. And then <laughs> Diggsy. So, you know, you got Spoon, you got Reek, uh, you got Trey Brown. That secondary is as good as any in the business. And your inside linebackers are now playing great. The key for this defense was to get the three guys up front, and they got exactly who they wanted, starting with Jaron Reed. He's played just fabulous, just lights mm-hmm. out, you know. Because when you think of a when you think of a nose tackle, you think of an Al Woods kind of guy, you know, six three, three hundred and forty five pounds. Jaron Reed is, you know, a cupcake or two over three hundred. That's all, but he is so quick at the line of scrimmage, and he's his hands are so strong. So all that said, we got good pass rushers on the outside. We got good guys inside. We're getting better. We're playing the run like 100% better than we played it a year ago. So the revelation for us, for me, has been how well the defense is played. Here's something else to remember. Back in the day, when I first started, you were talking about that, we played six preseason games. So right now, we would have just been two games into the regular season. If you're back in the day, you talk about how things are different. Our defense and offense was pretty much buttoned up by the time we got to the start of the regular season after six. Now they play three, and the starters don't play but a few plays every game. So it takes you a while to kind of get together and to play together as a group and to understand if I'm if I'm Jaron Reed, what is Boye Mafe just outside of me going to do if I take an outside release? How is he going to come off my tail and try to rush straight up the gut? How are we going to accomplish those things? It takes time together on the field. So defensively, I just can't say enough about how well they're playing. And, you know, we'll have another decent test this week. I mean, Cleveland's got a good group. They like to run the ball. Whether they're going to have Deshaun Watson or not, I don't know. I mean, he's he's been up and down all season hurt. And then our offense. You know, if we can get out of our own way on offense sometimes, between the 20s, I'm, you know, right. tee me up. I'm ready to go touchdown Seahawks all day. Inside the 20, we've had trouble. And everybody knows it, including Pete, the offensive coordinator, the co- uh, the quarterback. Everybody knows we're just, we, we haven't been as good as we need to be. And that's something that I know they work on a lot in practice. We just need to get better at it. But there are a lot of good things to like about the offense as well. Yeah, let, so let's talk about that specifically, actually, yeah. because, you know, They've had a lot of reshuffling on the offensive line that, but yes. that's also almost every team in the NFL. Like I, yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the increasing gap between in athleticism between defensive linemen and offensive linemen or what, but we're just seeing so many injuries on the offensive line across, across yeah. the league. But look, I mean, you nailed it. It's been really frustrating inside the red zone for this team. And all of that being said though, the Seahawks offense still ranks eighth in points per game. When you adjust for pace, they're fifth in points per play. So when you step back and look at this offense as a whole, and yes, there's still some meshing that needs to happen, but they looked a lot better against Detroit and Carolina than they have the last month or so. 
Do you see a good offense here? Do you see a middling one? Do you see a potentially great one? No, I see a, I see a really good offense here. And I see an offense. You know, one of the things that, remember those guys I was telling you about a little while ago that because they have a cell phone uh, and they can talk to people, they, they kind of think they kind of get it. They know it all. Um, one of the things that folks like to do is they, they, they oftentimes like to say, okay, here's the problem. Either it's the offensive line or it's, it's, um, it's Ken Walker kind of running uh, east and west down there when there's no gap instead of just putting his head down and trying to run through. It's uh, Gino um, not getting the ball out of his hands. It's the receivers. It's all of those things. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, yeah. that there are so many things that have to happen right for yeah. you to score. Whether you're out at the 50 or down on the two, everybody has to do his job every single play. And so, I mean, shit, man, when they showed the replays from behind the line of scrimmage, I don't understand how any pass gets completed ever in this league. No, no, no. Give me play it's, calling it's, duties. We're scoring touchdowns every time the offense <laughs> Mike's touches Mike's got turf. it figured out. No, no, no. I've sure. got a plan. Well, I've got, yeah. Congratulations, Mike. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. You with the, you with the Mariners hat on for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah, come on. Um, We're all about success yeah. over here. All right, here you go. I'll make you feel at home. 54% touchdown rate. What, what do they do? All these hand signals. <laughs> First base go. coach. Yeah. Here you go. You, you're right. It, it's, it's, it's really tough. And, and so one guy misses a block. One guy slips. Um, tight end doesn't get across. He's supposed to pull and come behind and then lead up inside, and he gets tripped. Um, wide receiver gets jammed at the line of scrimmage, can't get off the line of scrimmage. Hey, we had a, a, a Super Bowl team that goes into its second Super Bowl game in Arizona against New England, comes all the way down to the second-to-last play of the game, and a veteran, two veteran wide receivers don't do exactly what they need to do, yeah. and the ball's intercepted, and we lose a chance oh, at a second oh, round. I had forgotten what happened on that play. I'm so, so I'm so glad you, know, you reminded me. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so it happens, and it happens in every game, and the key is to have fewer of those than the guys you're playing. Yeah. And so nobody's going to play a perfect game. There never has been a perfect game. So uh, that's a long way of saying that uh, I, I I like the people that we have in there. I For the most part, I like what we do. I would really have liked it a lot more if Zach Charbonnet had been in the backfield this sure. weekend because he is just a truck inside of five yards or ten yards. But he wasn't. But you know what? Uh, Ken Walker is pretty tough running back, too. He's a hard runner inside. He's a hard guy to bring down. We just need to kind of stabilize that offensive front. We need to get them, um, try to get those starters healthy. We've had what? In six games, we've had five different starting lineups. So yeah. you got to get better at that. And I, and I think that will come. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Zach Charbonnet because, you know, uh, the common discourse surrounding the Seahawks in football in general is the value of a running back. And we're we're pretty pro having good running backs over here. Oh, yeah. uh, but you mentioned Zach Charbonnet, that second running back. I mean, Ken Walker basically got all the work on, yeah. on this game. And to assume that fatigue isn't playing any role when your job is to lower your head and run into 2,000 pounds of muscle on every single play – uh -huh. But you're you're right. Charbonnet has a very specific skill set that I think is really complementary to what Ken Walker can do. How valuable is having that second guy available oh, to you? I can't tell you how much. I mean, take a look at our team last year. We'll take a look at it last year. In training camp or before training camp even, 
the idea was that Chris Carson was going to be the man, that uh, you were going to have Penny as his backup, who had had such a great season the year before, and that you had this second-round draft choice as a rookie who's going to be able to sit and learn and maybe get four or five snaps a game. Carson never gets to the starting line because of his neck. He has to retire. Uh, Penny does a, a, a really admirable job. He goes down in New Orleans, and suddenly you have Ken Walker, who's thrown into the mix and said, okay, here you go, young man. you got to carry the load. And he did. And he did yeah, a great did. job. So you cannot have enough of those good guys back there. Uh, I, I think Charbonnet is going to be terrific. And I don't think he's just a red zone guy either. I mean, you can put him out at midfield. He's a, a terrific receiver. Uh, you know, what you have seen us do offensively is probably one-tenth of all of the plays that are in the mm-hmm. game plan. Pete's job, as he's told me a number of times, is to just pare everything down every week to make it easier for the guys to digest what we're going to try to do. But I guarantee you there are formations there in their playbook that have Charbonnet and, and Walker on the field at the same time, almost in an eye-back formation or in a, almost a split-T look formation to try to give the defense something else to think about. And now when you play the tight ends as good as we play with our tight ends and as good right. blockers as they are, Defenses, they got they got nothing to key on. Everything is balanced. We can give the ball to either guy. We can go to either side. Um, there are so many good things about being a really well-balanced team. And we'll see that more and more as the season goes on. Just got to make sure that Zach is is healthy. And he's got he had that little tweak in his hamstring. You don't mess with hamstring tweaks. Right. With a with an uh, with a guy like me who was, you know, a twenty-seven thousand dollar wide receiver, shoot, put him out there. But a guy like Zach. <laughs> Charbonnet, you don't you don't do that. Yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned balance, and I mean Pete isn't unique in this regard, but he's as vocal as any other head coach when it comes to wanting balance on offense. And I think that gets misconstrued as well. He just wants to run the ball all of the time. And and look, you just look at the the pass run splits, especially in neutral game situations over the last honestly four or five years. That's not the case, but it doesn't mean that there's not value there in that balance. But when you look at this offense as a whole, what would you say is the strength of it? Wow, that's that's a great question. Um I, I know well, I know what we want it to be. Uh, and actually I'm going to answer it with what you just said. I think the strength of this offense is going to be its balance. Hmm. Is going to be its ability to run the ball when we want to run it and throw it when either they're not expecting us to throw it or throw for explosive plays, and then when you hit on those explosive plays, and here's a little something that you know people don't get a chance to see because they don't watch practice every day, but Geno Smith is as good a deep ball thrower as there is in the NFL, and he has guys that can get after it and can get downfield. Mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett knows how to split safeties. We saw uh, JSN do it this weekend. I almost lost my... Uh, voice screaming on touchdown on that play because it was a rifle shot and it was right between where the safeties are supposed to be and JSN just was there perfectly and yeah. and Gino threw a great uh, great pass and of course we know what DK can do down the sidelines he'll out jump everybody he'll out muscle you in the end zone so there's there's lots of those things that that we can do the balance of being able to do that when you want to do it I think is the key for this offense and um you know we can still we can still make big plays downfield. You still want to be able to come back if you're behind and and win a football game. 
But if if you can't do all those other things, if you can't control the sticks, the time of possession, uh, down and distance, then you're playing from behind. And I don't care how good an offensive coordinator you are, if you're constantly having to dial up third and 12s, third and 15s, it's it's really tough. A, to, a lot to, of pages come convert. out of the playbook when that happens. Oh, man. Tough to convert, tough to score, and, uh, and, and your punter gets a big workout that day. So back in 76, yes, when you ended up on the Seahawks, you ended up with another Steve of yep. the Largent variety. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty safe to say that you guys have both cemented your legacies within the organization <laughs> since that point. Him, him maybe a little more than me. Uh, different oh, ways. Different, different ways. <laughs> uh, in 2023, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jake Bobo, who we have previously established his unabridged name, is also Jackson. Yep. A pair of Jacksons, a wide receiver on the Seahawks. Tell us about the rookies. Tell us what you like and how you think that they might be able to mold their own legacies within the organization. And just real quick, I want to point out that the Jacksons are kicking the Mike's asses so far this year. All right. It was looking ugly, but, you know, Mike Jackson, who I guess is the bridge between the two worlds. He's the olive branch. That's right. He had that fourth down stop on that puzzling (laughs) fake punt weird decision that uh, Arizona made on Sunday. I I think they thought they were going to catch us sleeping, but, you know, you prepare for everything. If I was on all those teams, punt return, punt coverage. So you're prepared for it. If they come out and decide they're going to line up an offensive formation and throw, you got this guy, you got that guy, and so suddenly there's Michael Jackson right there where he's supposed to be, covering the guy he's supposed to make the tackle. Okay, the two rookies. Well, um, you could almost know um, when JSN uh, was drafted, especially in his position, when you draft him as the first wide receiver taken in the first round, you know that everybody thinks very highly of him and nobody more so than John Schneider and and Pete Carroll. And um, so you go and you get this guy who's already played in some of the biggest games in college football. So nothing's going to be too big for this guy. He's really smart. He's really smooth. And he's, he's a little bit taller than, than Tyler Lockett, but he reminds me in so many ways of Tyler Great hands, great concentration, terrific route runner, smooth in and out of his breaks, explosive. He works hard. I I asked him this during training camp. I said, uh, Jackson, I watch you when you catch a pass, any pass, one-on-one drills, just when you're out there running with no defense in front of you and you got a quarterback just throwing your routes. And I said, every time you make the catch, you do something with the ball. You catch the ball and then you put your foot in the ground and you either – spin like you're spinning out of a tackle you plant and get upfield you pull it out for you know 20 25 30 yards i said where did you learn that and he said i've been doing it since i was a kid um and he said that has got that's in my mind that every time i touch the ball i've got to make a move after i make the catch so this guy's been trained from back when he was playing you know junior league football all the way through ohio state so he was prepared then you watch him in training camp and you said, oh, this guy, this guy's a pro already, as smooth as he is the way he runs routes. Jake Bobo was kind of an unknown product for a lot of us. We knew the name, you know, if you follow UCLA this last year, and if you knew about Duke, my my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets are back in the ACC. So I kind of followed them a little bit as well. Sure. You knew that this guy was, you know, bigger than most wide receivers in some ways, taller. Um and and I but I didn't know much of the backstory, and I certainly didn't know what 
you know, the guys knew at the combine and, and who timed him when he was at his, his pro day workout that he ran a 499. I mean, people couldn't even conceive of that as a wide receiver doing that. Hell, tight ends, linemen, there are linemen who run faster than that. Yeah. So that really hurt him. But Schneider saw something in him, in his concentration, in his the way he caught the football, in his toughness. He could take a shot. You know when you sign somebody as a free agent wide receiver that they better be able to play special teams because that's going to be how you make the team. Right. He could do that. So these guys complement each other in that way. They, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the star receiver, at least to start out. And Bobo is going to be given a few chances, but he's also going to have to do some of the dirty work on special teams and all that. And they've both lived up to all of that. It's so much fun for me. Pete reminds me of this when we I do an interview with him twice a week. And when I ask him about one of the receivers, he said, I know you look for these things because you were a receiver at one time, not to the extent of, of our other buddy, Steve, obviously. But, but you know, I played for six years in the league, so I kind of know what it takes to play and, and what it takes to be a, a, a good a teammate and a good receiver. These guys have both of that, both yeah. of those things. You know, the thing that jumps out to me about the Jacksons, and, you know, I mean, it's – nominative determinism you know i i get it it's something we all share but what i see with them is technical proficiency you have two very different types of athletes but there's no wasted movement with either of them they win in different ways obviously but when you are that proficient with your body when your proprioception is that sharp like bobo has and I, i said this during the game and and i said in the article afterwards he has a way of making the people guarding him look slower because mm-hmm. he's so efficient with the way that he moves. And and that catch, I mean, that catch in the end zone was up there with anything we've seen from Doug Baldwin or yeah. Tyler Lockett over the years yeah. in terms of being able to concentrate on the ball and then immediately be able to drag the feet. It's just, it's really exciting. And I got to imagine that it gives the coaches a ton of confidence that when you are without a DK Metcalf, and I'm not even talking about for a full game because this is the first game he's ever missed, which is amazing. Right. That's its own conversation. Yep. But also, like these guys don't run 100% of the routes. That's not the way the human body is built. You got to have that guy that you can put out there. And Seattle has rarely, if ever, been able to go three deep with really sound wide receivers. I mean, how many teams can? But now it well, feels like si- they can go not four since deep. 1976, <laughs> right? But that's another story. <laughs> right? Yeah, totally, totally. And I actually, I, I want to pivot off of this and talk about DK. A little bit, because a lot of times, you know, when you see receivers come into the league, especially if they're drafted in the first two days, it's because they have outlying athleticism. I mean, that's that's the siren song of wide receiver. And and honestly, it's probably the position where it's most apparent when you're watching football, just as like a casual fan watching the game, the athleticism of wide receiver is going to stand out more than other positions. Yeah. What have you seen from DK? in terms of his evolution, because when he first came in, he was very raw and almost all of his routes were field stretching routes, but now mm-hmm. we're seeing him on stick routes and outs and digs. And they're even running him on some crossers, which seemed unimaginable three, four years ago. Has his evolution as a wide receiver been as good as I think it is? Yes. Yes. The short answer is yes. Watching him in training camp, I am constantly, and, and and even at practice now. I mean, he'll do it now um, when they're working individual drills, or he's he's out there, you know, by himself with just the quarterback. I don't know of guys his size that can 
can draw and he's all legs. I mean, you know, he's just long legs and mm-hmm. and and torso and and he's hugely muscular, but so in control. And to be able to, as as we run pass routes, you have to kind of drop down uh, as you're coming into your break. Uh, one of my problems how I had to learn as a receiver was I used to try, I used to almost kind of stand up a little as running a pass route on a on an out cut or an in cut. The natural reaction is, to, is, you know, okay, slow down a little, and that means standing your body up. No, keep that forward lean, plant yourself down, put the foot in the ground, and come out of it in one direction or the other. He has become amazing at that, and it's all hard work. But he he and and he can explode coming out of that break. He's so quick for a big guy. You you talk about uh, Bobo. He, he, one of the reasons he makes people around him look a little bit slower is because he understands how to utilize the speed he has. And so the guy who is covering him necessarily is going to throttle down a little bit as he's watching this big, long, gangly guy, and boom, there's the explosion out of the break, and suddenly Bobo's got two steps on him. And that's all you need with a good yeah. quarterback is yeah. a step or two. So um, they're, they're just really well-coached. Uh, they're they're all great athletes, and I mean, you go down the list. They have guys on the practice squad who would have been players back in the day. I mean, they're 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 just sure. that they're just that talented. And so it's really fun for me to watch. And I talked to Yoda or Steve, Steve Largent. <laughs> his nickname is Yoda, so we call him. We've called him Yoda since I don't know the seventies. And uh, and I know we talk about it when when we chat when he's here down on the sidelines before the game we watch the guys warming up and we both uh, know that the 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 level of of physical ability in in players today is just so amazing and the things that they can do yeah yeah I mean that's that's the thing is I feel like the Seahawks pass offense can win a lot of different ways. Which is great. I, I imagine, you know, we had we had Michael Sean Dubar on last week and he was like, Look, they got a lot of talent in this wide receiver core, but DK is the one defensive coordinators are putting at the top of the list with oh, the sure. bullet, right? He he's the one they're shading safeties over the top. He's the one right. saying, Don't let 14 beat us. And then, you know, yeah. we can we can adjust to the other stuff. And I I think it's easy. You get used to a good thing, you know, we're we're guilty of that as fans. And the excitement kind of wears off and all of a sudden it's like well this expectation is crazy and any perception of a player not living up to it all of a sudden means something's wrong or or whatever i i just what i don't want to get lost in the discourse surrounding this team and especially surrounding dk metcalf is he is the focal point i would imagine the question i asked you about the strength of this offense i'm guessing most opposing defensive coordinators would answer number 14 they would certainly have an extra meeting uh, and we always talk about that. Who are the extra meeting guys? Who are the guys that, as a defensive staff, you have to sit down and say, you know what, uh, this guy presents a new problem for us. And and not that they'll have an extra meeting now for Jake Bobo, but his <laughs> they're making uh, his making a name for himself around the league. And defensive coordinators are now saying, you know, we can't just say we're going to put. XYZ cornerback on him and just, you know, leave him out there by himself. No, this guy can catch in double coverage. This guy can do everything you need. But you're right. DK is the guy that keeps uh, coaches awake at night because of what he can do physically. And so that makes all your other guys so much more important because when they do, you know, bring that safety over the top 
or run him toward the middle of the field where DK is running. That's when you run uh, JSN on an underneath crossing route. You pop him out free over on the far side of the field. He can turn up field. In fact, Geno said he missed him in the game. Um, uh, I think it was the game back in uh, Cincinnati. He missed him, didn't see him. JSN doing just that, crossing route, popping out free on the far side. Geno just never got a look at him and didn't throw. So, yeah. Yeah, with with a with a weapon like uh, DK Metcalf, that does open up a lot of things for you, and it makes teams have to defend so many different ways. And then, you know, DK is as I mean, he's a great receiver, but he's as good a blocker. Great blocker, and man. I mean, he just he knocks guys on their uh, wallets on on a regular basis, and so. You also have to be prepared for that. If you're a, a cornerback out there and you're going to play him, you better be ready. Bring your lunch because it's going to be a long day. Listen, the man's got gravity. He's got gravity when it comes to how the defense plays this offense. And for all of you listening who want to trade him because he's got some personal fouls, I want you to understand what you're losing if you trade a player like DK Metcalf. Yeah, the the energy, the... the um determination the the desire to be great and the desire to be great for his teammates not just mm. for himself but mm-hmm. for his teammates say it louder for the people uh, in the back yeah exactly uh, i mean and and he is such a he is such a great young man i, I i've tried to tell him a number of times cuz he always he, even to me all the time yes sir no sir please you don't have to do the sir thing i'm i'm yes i'm old but just Graves, <laughs> Steve, whatever, that's fine. But he that's just the way he's built. That's who yeah. he is. Yeah. And he's he's terribly respectful. And uh and that's I mean, there's a there's a, a great thing about that. And he is, you know, as hard a worker as there is in the locker room. So have no fears about him. Yeah, okay. Pete's gonna talk to him. You you just gotta control your emotions a little bit better, but don't stop doing what you're doing. That's what he was trying to say the other day. He wasn't, you know, blowing off the question about getting a penalty and saying, I'm not going to change the way I do things. What he was saying was, I'm going to keep giving 100% effort every play, whether it's a run or a pass. And sometimes, once in a while, things happen. I apologize for that to my teammates. And then Mm -hmm. let's go out there and play and knock somebody on their butt again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And, And it's great to hear that from someone who's so connected to the player and to this team. I do want to circle back to the defense a little bit. We talked about them at the top, and you mentioned a lot of the guys who have really stood out, and especially up front, what we're seeing from Jaron Reed, who is having a career resurgence. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. That was the worst year of his career in Green Bay last year. He looked lost. I I didn't really understand the move to bring him back other than maybe it's just an extra body to rotate in. All of a sudden, he's never looked this good. His He didn't look this good when he got 10 sacks with this team. So he's been great. We've seen Boye Mafe make this leap from a barely rotational player who frankly looked lost out there at times last year to someone that, I mean, the metrics love him. I'm not saying he's Miles Garrett or Neil Hunter, or one of the Watts or the Bosa's, but when it comes to pass rush win rate, like the, the frequency with which he's beating the blocker on pass plays, he's been elite at that. So we've got all of that up front. But I want to talk to you about Devin Witherspoon because it's just Mike and I were joking before the show. Mike asked me, he goes, who's the best player on this team right now? And I was like, damn it, Mike, don't, don't make me say it. 
Don't make me say I, it. I knew what the answer was going to be. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm racking my brain because I don't want to say a kid that has five games under his belt. But I don't think anybody is playing better football on this team right now than Devin Witherspoon. And it blows my mind that he is playing with this level of confidence, this level of mental acuity uh, this early in his career. When you look at Devin Witherspoon, what he's done so far, where does he rank among first-year players you've seen since you've been covering this team? Oh or my. even that you played with. Right. Um, yeah. To come on and do what he's done so quickly and, and to do it at two different positions, cornerback and nickelback. Crazy. They're two very different. I mean, yes, if, you know, if you, if you just say, okay, he's got to cover guys. All right. I get it. But even just the positioning, how you set your feet at the snap, you know, you're, if you're in the slot, uh, sometimes you're moving, you're moving with your guy. Uh, so there's lots of things like that. I would agree with you that there's nobody playing better than him. I, I, I don't know that I'd say he is the best, mostly because I don't break down the film like the coaches do sure, every week, and sure. they give guys a grade. So you know, they'll they'll know specifically. But if he's not the best, he's right up there as like one or two or three. Uh, and and uh, he's just made a remarkable transition, especially for a guy that, you know, he didn't do much during preseason at all. They had to nurse a hamstring. And we were all a little bit concerned. You don't want a, a guy who's, if he's got a hamstring, you don't want to send him out there and, and take a chance on getting it hurt. So having him there and the things that he can do. But I will say as well, I don't know that the defense has played any better uh, in fact, it hasn't played better. It's played much better since Jamal has also come back. Talk about it. Talk about and it. And is feeling so much healthier every single game. You know, he got knocked dizzy in New York. Uh, and I've been there. I know what that feeling is like. Uh, you get completely knocked out. And so, yeah, you, one of the things that happens to you, they said, well, he yelled at the guy that he was, you know, the the doctor, the neutral guy on the sidelines. Right. Hell, that's what you do. It unleashes an emotion in your brain. You can't control it. Hmm. Some I, I remember after I got knocked out in Oakland, one of the things you do, by the time I got back to the locker room after the game, which we won, Efren Herrera, field goal, thank you very much, um, is you you just, it unleashes and you just sit there. You have tears running down your face because you don't know what the hell you're here for. What are you doing? Who are these people around me? And uh, you ask Yoda. He did the same thing. I remember he got knocked out, and I saw him with my binoculars yeah. on yeah. the bench, and he's just got tears running down his face. It's it's natural it, what's happened in a concussion situation. So I can understand that. Right now, he's playing as good as anybody on that defense, Jamal, is, because of the also the things he can do. Line him up in the three safeties, drop him down in the box, blitz him, be the contained man on this side, make plays around the edge. Come up and make plays at the line of scrimmage like Bobby or or, or uh, Brooks. Uh, he's just doing it all. You've got so many pieces on this defense that are all just really meshing. And then at the heart of it, you have Bobby back, who's getting everybody where they're supposed to be. Yeah, man. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Pete and John and, and all of us who watch this every day are so excited about this defense because, you know, we still got a ways to go. We're not where we could be yet. How, how much work did the team have to do to bring – Bobby back was I don't think it was uh, quite frankly I don't believe it was a ton yeah. I think there were a couple of things that happened one of which is the Rams decided okay 
we really now want to get younger. We're going to go in a different direction. They had a bad season last year. So if ever they're going to, you know, the old saying is if you're going to take a bath, take a long, hot bath and start making those all those changes hmm. now. So they wanted to get a new guy in as their guy in the middle. And so they were going to, they released Bobby after one year. So, and here we are in late December with our middle linebacker, Jordan Brooks, who's made all the calls all season long, who learned at the feet of Bobby Wagner as a young guy going out with an ACL. And so now suddenly he's done. You don't know how long it's going to take him to recover. So, and Bobby has his home up here. He still comes back. He still works out here. And so I think there were a lot of things that kind of came together. You know, Bobby's his own agent. Mm -hmm. So at some point there had to be that connection after the season between John and, and Bobby himself to say, Hey, what would you think of if, you know, we can't, we're not going to, we can't afford to pay you $18 million a year. That's not going to happen, but we want to have you come back and be the guy that you are. Take that next step to the ring of honor and the hall of fame. And Oh, by the way, we're going to have a young, fast, aggressive yeah. defense that you're going to be in the middle of, and we just might go places. And I think all those things spoke to Bobby. Yeah, you know he's he's such a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I feel like yeah. I feel like now he's Splinter. You know, <laughs> he's like <laughs> coaching up all the young turtles, and <laughs> you know he's the sensei now. And and it's yeah. been really really awesome to watch. And and frankly, they're going to need that. A little bit more now because the team received some really tough news here in the last day or so yeah. uh, with the loss of Uchenna and Wosu. You know, the, yeah. the hope was that it was a pectoral sprain, which is a problematic injury on its own. Now, sounds like he needs surgery. Going to be done yeah. for the year. Who steps up in in this absence? Because he's been the most productive pass rusher on this team since he came over. Led the team in sacks last year. He's been the most explosive guy off the edge so far this year. Do they have that guy on yeah. the roster? Well, remember, he was tied for the most sacks last year. And he was with? tied with Daryl Taylor. That's right. Yeah. Who and, played and, really good in his absence, yes, on, on Sunday. Yeah. he Every so often, Daryl kind of ma- kind of makes up his mind that he sees an opening and he's going to take it. And oftentimes what happens is there's a reason why there's an opening there. It's because they want you to take it. Because that means you're either going to give up contain or somebody's going to come and block down on you and they're going to pop around it. So You're absolutely right. He's the Ken Walker of the defense in that way. That's right. He is still learning on the job. And, and he, remember, he was you know a rookie that didn't play at all as a rookie. Last year he played and got better as the season went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he has had to learn a little more about playing the run uh, defensively. He's not as good at that as Boye, which is one of the reasons Mafe kind of had moved into the starting job. Taylor's going to have to step up. Derek Hall, the rookie, he is a phenomenal athlete. You talk about if if DK Metcalf is carved out of granite, so is Derek Hall. Hmm. And I just love the kid because of his backstory about being a, a preemie who was literally born without a heartbeat. And here he is now a 260-pound outside linebacker defensive end for the Seahawks in the National Football League. I mean, he's just remarkable, and he's such a such a terrific young man. So he's going to be asked to step up. Um, you know, Tyreek Smith could be brought back mm-hmm. off of the the uh, injury list. Uh, yeah, he so flashed a little guys. bit against Detroit. Yeah, they don't have to have – they don't have to go out and trade guys – I don't think to get somebody unless there's somebody out there that 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 John really wants and that Pete really wants. And then what do you have to give up? And then how much money do you have under the cap? Right. All those things would would you know would 
would have to figure in. But now you're starting to get into the time of the season where, you know, it's tough when you start bringing new guys in. If they're not familiar with your system, now you got to teach them. And yeah, you can just kind of turn them loose. Um, but then, you know, you're having to cover for that. Yes. And so why not use the guys that you have? And you've got guys that you've used to hide around draft choices to get. Why not play those guys? So I think that's probably what's going to happen. Um, and then if you, you know, you start to get into a situation where, okay, well, we're, you know, we maybe we get somebody else hurt. Now we got to start rethinking those those other options. But for now, I think we probably have enough talent to be able to continue on. I mean, Chenna, you know what? And Pete, I saw he said it on on uh, Monday afternoon. I didn't have a chance to go to the press conference after the game, but on Monday. But he said Chenna's going to be as difficult to replace in the locker room as he mm -hmm. is on the field mm -hmm. because of the leader that he is, mm -hmm. and um, and that's that's something now that you you know you can't buy. Uh, you can't go out and sign off the off the street. So those are the guys that you have to develop from in in house. And you have Bobby, and you have Jordan, and you have Jaron. All those guys are leaves. Digsy, my God, he's a terrific leader. Jamal Adams. I mean, you, you got a bunch of a bunch of those uh, uh, bell cows. So defensively, I'm, I, I hate to see Chenna go down, especially go down for the season. But you got a pretty good group of guys on defense to cover for that. Well, and it speaks to something that. You know, I'm I'm a pro analytics guy, but it speaks to something that doesn't get captured in EPA and in DVOA, and that's culture. And and it's tough for a lot of people, and I struggle with this sometimes too, to put too much weight into it because you can't quantify it. But there's no doubt that there is a culture, not only from the top down with what Pete Carroll has built and the way that John Schneider has supported that, the way the ownership, frankly, has supported it, but the guys in the locker room. You know, the coaches underneath the coaches. And to your point, Seattle has a lot of those guys. So it's really encouraging to hear you say that as someone who's got his nose in the locker room because it's, like I said, it's it's not something that you can say, oh, you know, the, the Seahawks rank third in leadership, right? <laughs> like you just, you, you kind of either have it or you don't. And it seems like Seattle really does. And that's going to, I mean, that's going to be really, really important moving forward because Schedule gets really tough now. And, you know, Seattle was given the opportunity to have a get-right game at home against Arizona. Not that any win in, in the NFL is easy, but you've got a team that is floundering a bit. And yep. you can make some mistakes against Arizona that you can't make against better teams. And one of those better teams is the Cleveland Browns, who are coming in with an identical record. They've been winning without their starting quarterback. They had, until this past week, statistically the best defense that the NFL had seen in decades. I'm talking LOB included through six weeks of a season, five weeks of a season. So when you look at this game and, and Deshaun Watson may play, he may not PJ Walker has looked good the last couple of weeks. How did the Seahawks win this game? Well, you, you, you know, you do what you do. Um, that, that sounds simplistic, but, um, while coaches will spend hours and hours and all overnight uh, periods of time looking at game film, yeah. seeing what a defense and an offense that you're going to play against, what they do, and you'll you'll go back and you'll look at half a dozen games. You'll go back to last season and see what did this guy do, uh, what did that guy do. Ultimately, what a coach will tell you is, but bottom line is it's not about them, it's about us. And so what the Seahawks have to do uh, and uh, I haven't had a chance to study much about the, the Browns yet. I usually start that 
on Wednesday. So I'll mm -hmm. start putting my spotting board together tomorrow uh, as we get set for the game. And we'll talk to Pete tomorrow about, you know, some of those key players that, that Cleveland has. But ultimately, it's going to be, uh, what do the Seahawks do? What are the things that we need to continue to get better at? We've talked about red zone. Uh, we want to continue to run the ball well. Um, Ken Walker, over 100 yards. If you have a 100-yard rusher against this defense, there's a real good likelihood you can win this football game. If for no other reason than because your offense has stayed on the field. You yes. have kept you know, the time of possession in your favor. You've kept the sticks in your favor. That's generally what a 100-yard rusher does. The one thing we haven't also talked about, if you lose the turnover battle to a team like Cleveland uh, at the rate of 3-0, to zero, oh, you've turned it over three times and they didn't, yeah. that makes it really difficult. You could do that against Arizona. You can't do that against Cleveland or the other teams we have coming down the line. Um, so you're right. This is the time right now before the really tough stretch starts. We have four of six games, counting the other days, here at home. Got to take advantage of that. Got to take advantage of the 12s. But again, it, it kind of is all about what we do. If they have the young quarterback playing and not Deshaun, I remember Deshaun coming in here as a, Tex a Houston Texan and lighting things up. I mean, he's doing for up. a mile and a half. I'd just as soon not see him again. Uh, you know, <laughs> keep him on the sidelines or let him stay back in Cleveland and rehab. Uh, I'd just as soon see a young quarterback. But uh, they have a they have a good rushing game. Their starting running back may not play, but uh, you know they went out and brought back a guy that had played there before, so he's good. And then their defense up front, especially, is just lights out. So they have a lot of things going for them. And I just think if the Seahawks do what they do. And and don't turn the ball over. You can't throw a cheap interception. You can't cough it up. DJ Dallas was about, he was just sick about it. I mean, it bothered oh, him man, all the I way bet. after the game when a guy just reaches in and pokes it out of your hands on a punt return. You 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 know you can't do that. So they'll be better at both of those things, I'm sure, against Cleveland. You know, I I do put a lot of stock in what you're saying about going out and doing what you do when you have the guys. Who can do yeah. it? And I truly yeah. believe Seattle now has the guys that you can go out and do what you do. But you're you're playing an exceptional defense. Steve, do you really believe that they can go out and just out-execute the Browns, or do they need to get more creative? Hey, uh, we went back to Cincinnati and played as good a defensive front that we ever played since the week before on Monday night against the <laughs> yeah. Giants. Yeah. The Giants have a terrific defensive front. Mm -hmm. now. They're, and they got a quarterback who is as good a running quarterback as any we have seen. Dobbs, Pete mentioned, talked about it all week. Watch out for the quarterback. He doesn't just scramble. He runs the football. He sure does. He was their leading rusher, for crying out loud. So, you know, there there are things that that all teams do and that everybody's got you know, pluses and minuses. Yes, Cleveland, I'm not going to question the fact that, that they have a really good defense. We've already faced a couple of pretty good defenses yeah. along the way. Yeah. So uh, Detroit, we go into Detroit as tough a place to play as there is for opposing teams coming here to play at Lumen Field. Yep. They had a really good defense, mm -hmm. and they knew it. And we put... What? How many did we put? 37. 27, 37. 37 on the board against the Lions. Against them there. Yeah. So I, I have no doubt about what our offense can do against really good defenses. But it, it's a matter of mostly it's a matter of not beating yourself. 
And we almost did that on Sunday against uh, against uh, uh, Arizona. Can't do it this time against Cleveland. Yeah, look, you're you're close to the flame with this team. Expectations were high coming in. I don't know how high they were for you around here. We were talking win a playoff game, get to the second round, be Final Four sure. in the NFC. What were your expectations for this team coming in, and have they changed at all through six games? Well, your expectation as a team and as a player is the first thing you want to win your division. That's the first thing you talk about. Yeah, everybody says, I want to win the Super Bowl. Well, it's a lot easier to win a Super Bowl when you win your division because now everything comes through you. Now you have home field. And it's so tough, as we know from the years that we went to the Super Bowl, how tough it is for teams to come in here and play against the Seahawks and against the 12s. So that's the first thing that you want to do. Um, I I think the expectation is that that you want to do that. Yes, everybody's obviously looking at the 49ers and saying at the beginning of the season, gosh, this may be the best team we've seen in a decade with all the pieces that they have in place. Mm-hmm. Terrific receivers, a young quarterback who has turned into a really good quarterback, a great running back who is a Swiss Army knife, a defense that has, what, three or four starters up front who are all D1s, first-round draft choices, a secondary that has been picked over a little bit in free agency, but they still got some good guys. Teams are kind of laying them bare a little bit now the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Niners have lost two games in a row. I don't know that anybody would have thought they'd lo- lose two games in a row this season. Lose two games, period, let alone two games in a row. So things have a way of evening themselves out. I still think that this team can be um, a playoff team, certainly. I, and I think that's that expectation. I still think this team can win the division mm-hmm. and can have people come here and play. Uh, but, you know, let's face it. we got to continue to win football games and against tough teams. And to win your division, A, you have to win games at home. And we already lost one against the Rams. And, oh, by the way, that was a division game. So yep. that one really hurts your opening day. But you still have, and we've beaten the Cardinals, so now you still have them one more time, and you have the Niners twice in three weeks. One of them is on Thanksgiving night. And then you go down there a couple weeks later and play them. You know, you win four of those five. you got to go to L.A. yet. L.A. is kind of, is kind of you know, dog paddling a little bit right now. So any given Sunday, as, as trite as that sounds, but you better make it happen, A, at home, and B, against division opponents. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. You know, I, I felt like this team could win the division. If you had asked me, where do you think Seattle will be through week seven with regards to the 49ers? I would have said probably a game behind them. And here we are. Seahawks are half a game behind the 49ers. They have the same number of losses, which is really the number that you should look to. Right. Because yeah. you can, you can control wins, right? When you're not yeah. having to wait for the other team to lose. They're tied in the loss column, and I think that's huge at this point in the season. Exactly. And and if you look at a total number, uh, 11 wins, I think 11 wins in the division, 11 wins total, means you're winning in your division as well. I think that can get you, especially if you're winning the tiebreaker against the Niners uh, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, then I think that gets you where you really want to be. 12 would be delightful, but yeah. uh, 11, I think, can get you there. So, yeah, But you know what? That stuff is so far down right. the, the list uh right now only thing everybody is concerned about is the guys who kind of got nicked up and banged up and everybody's sore everybody hurts you know you're six games in so you're doing a lot of ice baths and massage and heat packs and all those things 
Uh, you're trying to get DK's ribs and hip feeling well enough that he can play. Um, and there's nobody more disappointed that he couldn't than DK Metcalf, trust me. So that's all you're thinking about this week is uh, let's get the game plan. Uh, let's understand it. Let's get guys healthy. Let's do – if we have to walk do more walkthroughs than we have actual practices, then let's do that. Sure. You know, there are times as the season goes on that you never put shoulder pads on again. I mean, you know, you're just always yep. in a hat. You try to do some things at half speed or even full speed, but you're letting guys get their legs back under them. And and that's a good thing. That's smart. That's a lot smarter than we used to be. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, you know, it's, it's it's funny you mentioned that, and and we'll let you get out of here in just a second. But one last question that I do have for you. For those listening who have followed this team. What the hell time is it? Oh, from- my God. You've taken <laughs> up know. all of my afternoon. I don't. I, I know I just- it. I know it, man. Yeah, no, we – there's a little bit of a time vortex on this show for sure. And we really, really appreciate it from you, Steve. There's some people listening who have been fans of this team from the very beginning. And I'm just curious, who was one teammate that you had, or maybe a couple of teammates that you had that really stood out to you, either from a personal or a professional standpoint? Well, um, Sam Adkins, one of our backup quarterbacks, Sam came in the year after I did. He came in in 77. And it's funny starters and backups tend to develop relationships because you oftentimes are practicing a lot together. Sure. So as a backup receiver, uh, although I played a lot in our three wide receiver sets with Sam and Steve, uh, Sam McCollum, obviously. And, and, but I worked a lot with Sam Adkins. Sam was my roommate on the Mm -hmm. road. Mm -hmm. So he was in my Sharon and my's wedding. Um, so, you know, we've developed uh, just a, a, a brother relationship over the years. Uh, not that, you know, Z-Man and, and Largent and Sam McCollum and Sherman and all those guys aren't, aren't great dear friends. But Sam Adkins is probably that guy. Sam, to this day, still makes my spotting boards. So wow. he has a, he's developed a computer <laughs> program thing that he, I just send him the roster and stuff. And he has a thing where he pushes a couple of buttons and it, migrates all these names and information into the boxes and stuff. I don't know how the hell he does it. I I, I mean, I, I, he's way smarter than me uh, because first of all, I'm here talking to you and he's out there doing important <laughs> stuff. So it just shows you the difference in our, in our, in our intelligence level. Yeah. Well, but, we tried to get him first, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure you did. He was too and busy he, with your spotting board. So he would, we, we checked down. He, he is so he is so funny, and and that's one of the reasons why we've we've always gotten along together. Um, of the later group of guys, guys that were you know Seahawks around the transition time when I retired, um, I became really close to Kurt Warner, mm. and not the quarterback Kurt Warner. Obviously, for people who are listening, there was a Kurt Warner before that, and he was our running back, and he was drafted by Chuck Knox in 1983, and and. He still is one of my dearest friends, uh, and we talk, and uh, his wife, Anna, and their kids, their boy kids, they're all grown adults now, But and Kurt wanted to try to learn this business that I do when I mm-hmm. retired, and so he would kind of follow me around like a puppy dog and want to learn, and we did a segment in our pregame shows that I helped him put together every week while he was playing. Uh, he, he, he was just, and he's so smart. Um, and, and he realized early on that there's no money in television or radio, but there is in owning <laughs> automobile dealerships, which hey. is what he did. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he's just, but he was one of those guys. Wyman, Wyman will tell you the story that we really got close 
when we took, I think it was the trip to Japan when we played a preseason game over there back in the late 80s. And neither of us could sleep on planes. So we ended up standing in the galley for like five of the nine hours of the flight just talking. Wow. And he wanted to know about how I got to where I was. And I wanted to know how he got from Stanford and a guy coming out of Stanford that had such a bad knee injury that a lot of teams didn't want to touch him. And that Rusty Tillman, our special teams coach and then linebacker coach, I mean, literally pounded on the table. You better draft Dave Wyman coming out of Stanford. So those guys, I, I had become, I become after the fact, become you know good friends with, uh, and both on and off the field. But there were so many of those guys that are still just great friends from those old days, and we still kind of keep in touch. Ron Coder, one of our offensive linemen, uh, has gotten us together doing one of those kind of a Zoom call. By the way, try Zoom next time. It's a lot easier on an old guy like me. <laughs> But he'll he'll get 12 of us on this call, all of us from 1976. And we were all on there one day talking about our draft stories. How, you know, what do we remember from draft day? And it was so funny. And here's a bunch of, some of the guys, you know, were now, I'll be 70 next birthday. Some of these guys are in their late 70s. And we're telling stories about draft day and about how really unimportant it was back in the day mm. uh, compared to what it is now. Um, it's just fun to keep keep in touch with those guys. We just lost one this last weekend. One of the guys we played with, a, a defensive lineman named Ron East, mm. was he just passed away at 80. So, you know, that's happening now in our lifetimes. And uh, we do our best to keep in touch with those guys that we grew to not only become friends with, but, you know, they become just beloved friends over the years. What a what a special and unique thing, you know, to be bonded. I mean, it's such an elite fraternity to have played yeah. in the NFL. And and I imagine there's ways that you guys can connect that, you know, folks like myself just we, we can't access that, you know. I yeah. I think that's really really amazing. I, Look, I'm hoping too that that uh, you know, in two after this season, 2 years will make 50 for yeah. me and the organization and 50 for all of the guys Incredible. that played in 76. So I'm hoping, I know that the Seahawks are already in the process of putting together a 50th reunion for that first group. Amazing. And it's going to be so much fun. And, um, you know, if ever there was a day to take off of the broadcast and just hang with all those guys up in the suite and get absolutely hammered, that would be the day. <laughs> but I also love what I'm doing. So Sharon, I'm sure, will represent me in the booth with the, all the guys go. from the 50th. And then I'll go do the game and then we'll get hammered afterwards. <laughs> Uh, look, Steve, man, what a thrill it's been to have you here in the Cigar Lounge with us today. Thank you so much for your time. Guys, it has been it's been a treat for me. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you ask anybody, talk to Sharon, she'll tell you. Uh, I love to talk about the old times. I love to talk football. Um, and so once you get me wound up, it's tough to get me off your air. But um, I, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. Now, don't call me anymore. All right, deal. We we will lose the number. <laughs> Look, okay. uh, obviously, the vast majority of the people listening are familiar with your work, but where can they find more of you when it's not Sunday? I have no idea. Ah, I, I that's a great don't. answer. I don't. I know. envy that I, answer. I mean, I'm not on TV anymore. Well, I'm on the the fifth quarter on Channel Five after the game after Sunday Night Football. Right. But I don't do anything else on TV anymore, which is just a godsend. It's so nice to be retired because five days a week three, four newscasts a day, 
plus Seahawks on the weekends. I did that for 38 and a half years. Yeah, you so sure did. I think that was long enough. So, no, they 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 really can't. Here is one place. Uh, oh, we have a podcast. Now, I forgot. <laughs> with the Seahawks. I do a podcast. I'm, I'm going to record one tomorrow. We do uh, a podcast uh, with the old guys. Uh, Seahawks stories, we call them. And oh, Z-Man, I love Jordan it. and I host it. And we're trying to get Jacob Green on tomorrow. I ha- oh. He hasn't called me back, mostly because he knows when I call, um, I'm asking him for something. So, <laughs> uh, But we're going to have, we had Largen on last week. We had Adkins on a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're going to get Sam McCullum on and Sherman Smith. So we're getting a bunch of the old guys. So that's one place. All the places where you can find podcasts, and I don't know where that is, but when you people, you young people out there know where to find Seahawks stories, or go to the Seahawks website. They have them on there, too. All right, Seahawks stories. About that? Thank you for the opportunity to plug, because I had forgotten all about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great, man. Happy to do it. I can't wait. I'm definitely going to be listening to that, because, man, this, is, this has made my whole week. So really, really grateful for your time. Well, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. All right, friends. That's going to do it for today. What an absolute treat that was. As always... You can find Mike and I on social media. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay when spelling my name. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can catch full video episodes on our YouTube channel at Cigar Thoughts. And find the rest of our socials at CigarThoughtsNFL.com. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article after the game at FieldGoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Finally, be sure to check out CigarThoughtsNFL.com to get your exclusive Cigar Thoughts cigars or hit me up on Twitter and I'll shoot you the details. When you buy those cigars, reach out and tell us what you think. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making it happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends.